It's show 81 of the Rim Pro Report. Today, the industry news and Sherry Taylor of Armstrong Archives. This show is sponsored by our good friends at O'Neill Software. You know them. Uh, you've no doubt heard about their software or you probably even work with them. They're the Rim Industry leading software company with the technical support and customer service team you can count on. They've got regional coverage in the Americas, Europe, Middle East, Africa, as well as Asia Pacific. O'Neill provides all-round great software, amazing support for your RIM business. You can check them out yourself at O'Neillsoft.com. It's official. It's showtime. Welcome to the RIM, RIM, RIM Pro Reports, the one and only weekly broadcast for the RIM support services industry. Bustling with news, views, here's what I believe, and the latest updates. That's just them. The show is full of interesting information, stories, yes, important product and service reviews, yes, and a cast of industry characters included. Yes. <laughs> Record center operators, shred and destruction vendors, media and electronic vaulters, scanners and imaging providers. Take note, this show is for you. Now, here's your host, Tom Adams. Yep, it's me, and I am glad to be back with you. March is half over. Uh, uh, March is half over. Yeah, time keeps on slipping, slipping, slipping into the future, and for some reason, I'm reciting old songs. Some are fully engaged in March break this week with their children. Others are about to be going into March break. If you're in either of those categories, have a great week here at Flourish Press. We are hard at work doing a lot of cool stuff, building cool websites for clients, creating monthly newsletters, and a whole lot more. We're also working hard as we prepare to launch my brand new book, You Are the Logo. So life is fun and interesting. I hope it is for you as well. Today on the show, we're going to talk to Sherry Taylor. Sherry is the president and CEO of Armstrong Archives in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Sherry's been in this business a long time, so I wanted to have her on the show this week to learn more about her story and what's going on in her life. I'm really looking forward to that conversation. But before we talk to Sherry, I want to get you caught up on the latest industry news. The big announcement of the week was the news delivered by Jim Teske, the president of PRISM's board, that the board had officially chosen Association Management Center of Glenview, Illinois, to be the new association management company to replace the outgoing staff. Along with the announcement, it was also announced that Dave Burgesson will become PRISM's new executive director once the transition is complete after the May PRISM conference. So interesting news there. AMC employees are approximately 180 people on their staff to support their member associations. Jim and the board are very excited by this announcement. Hey, Recall has unveiled a brand new web request portal for their data protection services division. The system allows clients to manage their digital tape inventory and will be available to all of Recall's 300 facilities. This software was developed in partnership with DHS Worldwide Software Solutions. Media services out of Kansas City has expanded their footprint by another 14,000 square feet to now a total of 36,000 square feet. So congrats to the entire team at Media Services. And that's all I have for news. I know we're getting into conference season. Lots of cool stuff 
about to unfold in the industry. So that's coming up. But that's all the news I have for now. If you've got interesting news you want to pass on, please let me know. Send me an email or fill out the form on the RimproReport.com website. I'm going to get Sherry Taylor on the line. Hold tight while I do. I am pleased to welcome to the show today Sherry Taylor. Sherry is the president and CEO of Armstrong Archives located in Carrollton, Texas. And uh, Carrollton serves the greater Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex. Sherry, are you there? I am. Oh, welcome to the show. I'm extremely grateful to have you on the RimPro Report today. Thank you for taking the time to share your story with us. Thank you for inviting me. Oh, you're welcome. So give me a picture of the current Armstrong Archives. Uh, What's your business look like today in terms of size, services, footprint, that kind of stuff? I'd say I've been told we're what a lot of people classify as a tweener. Tweener. not this small business anymore, Yeah, but we're not a big business anymore. We're in between. We're struggling with that gulf of when do we get to call ourselves a big company, Right, um, and that's the area where we're at right now. Okay, so what's that look like in terms of services? What kind of services are you offering at Armstrong? Well, we're offering pretty much everything. Uh, we offer, of course, we started with storage. Yeah. And uh, we do offer uh, tape rotations and things, but not we do not have a vault. We have never gone into the vault uh, arena, but we have climate-controlled storage for those that don't require quite so much security for their tapes. Okay. Then we're also offering destruction services in the destruction bins and consoles and the offices, but we do not actually do the shredding ourselves. We third-party that. And then we have uh, full imaging services that is almost off the ground. We're still, you know, getting that sold out there so that it's a 40-hour-a-week, it's a five-day-a-week five day a week ongoing service. And then in between all of that is all the consulting and the purge and and the actual project work that we do as well. And you do a lot of that? Yes, we do. Okay. Do you have multiple buildings? Do you live in one building? We have four buildings all on the same block. Okay. And uh, they're all properties that we've purchased. And uh, we also have some acreage adjoining a couple of the buildings for expansion purposes later. Okay, so you've got a nice footprint. You're what you call a tweener. I love that term, the tweener business. Yeah. Um, not a wiener business, a tweener business. Tweener. Right. And so give me a glimpse then into your own business story. How did you get into this crazy rim business? It was, it was completely by accident, and there was no existing business or family enterprise or anything. I was working for some folks that had left a semiconductor uh, company, started their own firm, and that firm specialized in downsizing Hmm. companies. And in this downsizing effort, they were tasked with holding records and taking care of uh, outstanding accounts receivables and payables and things of that nature, as well as getting rid of real estate uh, that these companies had. So in the process, 
they said, well, since we're contractually obligated to hold the records for this company, let's go see if we can get more companies to add to it. And this was and, just sitting around a table. So there, this is a group of people who are figuring out how to help people downsize? Uh, yeah. Okay. They had come out of a company that was doing massive layoffs and was in the process of downsizing. So they left Okay. and said, we're going to form our own company and help you get rid, divest yourself of all of this property and, and excess equipment and everything that you've acquired. Got it. Okay. And we're going to build a business just doing that. Right. And so and then, so that that leads into there's in divesting of businesses there seems to always be boxes around that. That's right. Okay. Got it. And so and, that that's something that you were involved in. Uh yeah, I was working for them um uh, as an office manager and had left to actually go on maternity leave and when I came back they had a new office manager, and they said, well, Sherry, we think we want to try to get more companies to store boxes. So since we filled your job, we're going to let you do this job. <laughs> well, th <laughs> well, thank you. Yes. <laughs> thank you for actually, holding I, my job for me. Yeah, well, actually, I owe them a, a great yeah. debt of gratitude, yeah. you know, in hindsight. But yeah, I'd never, I'd never heard of archive companies. I didn't know that there was such a beast out there, and so I just joined what was ACRC right. at that time, dating myself, and started teaching myself about the business. How did you go about in those early days figuring out how to make this business run? This is they had basically tasked you with building this business, right? That's correct. What kind of things did you do to get yourself moving? Well, I, the first thing I did is went out and copied the local hero and giant of the records business here in Dallas, which was Security Archives. Okay. And Pat Clayton, I believe. And I got a hold of their information that they produced, and I kind of, I, like I said, I copied it, I studied <laughs> it, I learned about it. I <laughs> Uh, I think we all I, did that in, in our own way, didn't we? Yeah. Copied I, somebody I else so. to make it work. That's right. But, you know, as this business is, it, it starts off really slow, and, and particularly when you don't have a, a large connection out there. I didn't have any contacts in either in the business or in out in the rest of the business world. Right. And I had stumbled across a group of lawyers that were working on a class action toxic tort asbestos lawsuit. And they had talked about filing uh, a few boxes with uh, discovery information with us. So I said that was fine, and we signed a contract and everything. And about a year later, they still hadn't done anything, and they called me up and they said, well, we're ready to get started. Why don't you come down and meet with us? And when I thought I was walking into a meeting with two attorneys ended up being a meeting of about 20 attorneys and I ended up with all of the documentation and everything for the largest class action lawsuit in the state of Texas. Wow. Yeah. And we were actually indexing on a document level instead of a box level and cross-referencing according to plaintiff and defendant. And that's really what kicked it all off. Wow. Uh, and I started getting the actual law firm business from there. 
in addition to the, the lawsuit, and then I got a couple of two or three other lawsuits on top of that. I got the breast implant lawsuits for the state of Texas, and I got the FinFin lawsuits for the state of Texas. So I was the central library for all of the attorneys working on these lawsuits. Wow, what an education. Yeah. <laughs> wow, that's yeah. so cool. So I taught myself all about databases and <laughs> all kinds of stuff. And so did you have software you were using at that point? Just, uh, gosh, it's been so like long. Where you were like Excel spreadsheet or? or uh, it, was, it wasn't even, uh, Excel wasn't even out there. We didn't even have Windows yet. Right, right. It was, it was a D-base database. Wow. That we and I, I hired a guy uh, that I knew uh, locally to help write some code for me, so that the people doing the the entering of the information didn't actually like if they were typing in a plaintiff name or something they didn't type the name in that plaintiff was assigned a number so that number was just entered and it was much easier and we had much less in the way of typos right. And I also got started in imaging back then, when everybody was saving images on dat tape. Right. Talk about aging myself. Wow. Because of these lawsuits and everything else, they were collecting data yeah. by the ton, and uh, they were imaging and putting it on dat tape. The whole lawsuit thing and the, the legal community that gets involved in that, somehow you started building relationships with them and built a record center out of that. Exactly. Wow, that's so cool. Is that Armstrong Archives? No. <laughs> that went on for about 10 years. Yeah. Uh, that was Archives of America. And the owners, the actual owners of that company that had originally started the high-tech downsizing companies, went through a couple of oh, gyrations, I guess. Some left, some others came on, um, they started other businesses and everything, and uh, things got to where the archive company was so successful, uh, they were raiding the cash from the archive company to start the other ventures, and lot, uh, lots of people know that when your cash flow goes out the door, uh, it's very hard to run a record center. Oh, yeah. So I had had a local moving and storage company calling me periodically to ask me how to do things. How do you set pricing? How do you do salaries? How do you do commissions? How do you keep track? You know, those kind of things. So I called them back up and I said, are you guys going to be opening a record center? And they said, well, we're thinking about it. And I'm like, well, would you like some help? <laughs> and so I ended up leaving Archives of America and starting all over again with Armstrong Archives. Wow. So this was what year, approximately? This was 1996. 96. So you, you leave the other one, and the other one, is it basically crumbling at this point because of the cash raids on, on the cash flow? Yeah, it was it was, it was was a pretty dire situation. Uh, you know, from day to day, we wouldn't know if the doors were going to be locked by the landlord oh, or, wow. or if the be able to make payroll and uh so yeah it was um coming to armstrong was such a, a breath of fresh air to have you know the support and just you know the ability to to go out and, and do things 
right and and start over. What were the big lessons you brought from your first experience at Archives of America uh, that you brought to Armstrong as you got that one started? What were some of the big the big important things that you knew or you had as collateral as you walked into Armstrong? Oh, there was a there was a whole host of things that I did differently. Yeah. Uh, simply everything from my logo that I picked out. Yeah. The logo for the first company was extremely complicated and detailed, and it was almost impossible to reproduce on the side of a truck or something. Yeah. So now my logo with Armstrong is very simple, uh, but it's it's very direct and everything. I mean, so there's any number of lessons. Uh, of course, I had I had contacts and stuff out there that right. with the second that I didn't have with the first. So, Did you bring many clients with you when you came? Quite a few followed me. Yeah, and that that created a a big problem legally, oh. uh, which took me like four years to resolve. Oh. Uh, but you know, I had lots of lawyers on my side. <laughs> that, it, it's it's good that you were part of that community. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah, but uh, I'll have to say that that a lot of them said, you know, this is my choice to make, and and my association is with you. So I, where you go, I go, and so I was very fortunate. Wow. So, 96, you get started into Armstrong Archives. You start with an empty building, but you start with relationships and this knowledge of the business, and you go to work. And so, what were some of the big turning points that you hit at Armstrong, uh, those sort of critical milestones that you went, yes, we're going to, this is going to happen, and we're going to make, you know, this is going to grow? Starting from scratch, even though it was the moving company and everything, I mean, you still you still start with nothing. Right. Yeah. Uh, you have no vehicles. You have no computers. We didn't have a, a name, letterhead, logo, and, and nothing. Yeah. So the hundred thousand box mark is always the biggest milestone. It seems like when you get to that point, however long it takes you, and it takes most most places, I would say, oh, three to five years, or yeah. something. If unless you've got some kind of an ace in the hole out there, right. But that hundred thousand box mark really is is the whole that that makes all the difference in the world. You you cover your cost and you're actually making a little bit of money. Yeah, and and isn't that that's that's a prism number somehow? And I I know that fluctuates depending on year, but I I I've seen over the years a number of the studies that have come out of through prism that kind of when you when you cross over the hundred, that's that's a that's a, a big point of transition into being somewhat profitable, even if it's not significantly, at least you're somewhat profitable at that point. That's correct. Yeah. So the 100,000 box point was really important to you, obviously. It was. Yeah. What other ones along the way seem to be indicators to you? Because I suspect if you're a tweener company now, uh, you're at a significantly greater number than a, than 100,000. I would suspect you're, I, I don't know what number you're at, but I suspect it's a pretty good size set of boxes in your in your four buildings now. Yeah, I mean, it, it, although I will admit, it's we're around the half million yeah, mark, that's, that's and I would, have, I would have thought that, we would have been more around between five and eight. Okay. Now, I mean, because we're we're what sixteen years in. But one thing that that I have learned is that I think the businesses, whereas in starting two record centers, 
I'm accustomed to just growth. Right. Now, in the first 10 years, it's just nothing but growth. Right. You don't, you don't have any fallback or stagnation even. I mean, you're, you're experiencing double-digit growth every year. Mm-hmm. When you start with zero, it's real easy to double that. Yeah, yeah. But now it's like I, I you know, get a big account, we grow a lump, but then by either either natural causes or because somebody has moved or is relocating, you you got a you got another big lump that's going out. Right. So right. I have as much going out as I do coming in, and that's kind of new at at this tweener stage. Yeah. To where we get back to the point to where we have more coming in than we've got going out. It's it's kind of it's harder now. It's it's a harder struggle. I've often heard in other businesses that that whole concept of getting to a certain stage of your business takes one kind of thinking and one kind of activity, but to go from that one to the next stage takes a very different way of looking at things, and you you almost have to change the whole way you do things. Some people say, you know, to to get to a million dollars in a business is very much, you know, work, 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 and grow, 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 like you said, and then to go from a million to, say, five million is a very different type of strategy. Yeah, that's what I'm finding. Yeah. Um, and I'm still struggling with that, that next stage and that, that next strategy. What are you doing to keep your business growing and vibrant, given that that's the reality of your life right now, that, you know, you, you get big accounts, but you lose them. You, you know, there's all these other elements in our RIM industry that are becoming part and parcel of our business, such as scanning and imaging. And you said you're getting started in that. So what are you doing to keep this thing growing and vibrant to try and keep those new accounts coming? Well, as we get started and everything else, because we're smaller and all, we, we tend to do everything ourselves. Yeah. And I've reached a point now where I understand and I realize that I can't I cannot continue that way. Right. I have to go out and I have to hire people that know more than I do to handle these things around the office. And then I'm just kind of like the center core that everybody revolves around. And I just keep my fingers and, and toes and, and up to date with what all they're doing. So right. we now have our first full-time IT person on staff that helps us not only with our records management software, but all integrating all the rest of our software, plus keeping our scanning and our imaging current and up-to-date and, and running. Wow. And then uh, we've hired, over the years and everything else, there have been times where I was doing all the sales. I had tried to hire outside salespeople, and, and that was kind of a hit-and-miss type proposition and everything, but we're back to, I have, you know, full-time salesperson along with their assistant, which we have not had before, because sales really does deserve and needs and requires a full-time effort. Right. And me as the owner, I've got so many other balls in the in the air, yeah. I cannot give it the full-time attention. Anymore. Right, right. So it's a matter of learning how to relinquish the control and and hire and bring in these folks to handle all the things that you've been accustomed to doing yourself. Yeah. So h- how do you do that from a hands-on perspective? Is somebody else guiding you through that, or are you just, in, in true entrepreneurial fashion, jumping into it and trying to figure it out as you go? 
Well, it's a combination. You know, it's kind of been hit and miss with me, but I also am, I utilize PRISM a lot. Um, I call PRISM my university, you know, and, and even if I don't attend a session or something at the annual conferences or some of the other conferences that they have, I can call up people that I've met there and say, what did you do? The other thing that I've done is I, I joined a PEG group. Okay, yeah. And uh, I spent, oh, two, three years with the PEG group going around and visiting other record centers and seeing how they are doing things. And a particular group that I got involved with, I was one of the, the smallest ones, one of the newer ones. Some of these had been in business for Long time. 50, 100 years. Yeah, yeah. And so there was a wealth of information and... and um, knowledge there that I got to share and enjoy. Yeah. That's the wonderful privilege of mastermind is you, you get to leech onto other people's wonderful experiences and learn from them and hopefully, you know, reduce the, the time for, for you to learn it. I, I, I'm involved in mastermind groups and they are such a huge learning opportunity for us. So I, I'm, that, that's, that's a cool way to uh, learn to figure out how to do this in a different way, how to think differently. I have to get past the the being in awe of of these folks because yeah. they've already been there and done all of that and everything else to you know really get down to the nuts and bolts. Yeah, yeah. So what keeps you up at night? What keeps you? What what worries you? What concerns you? Oh, I think the same thing that concerns everybody that there's going to be a, a major catastrophe somewhere that a rack's going to fall, even though you've done everything to make sure that that doesn't happen, or somebody's going to knock a sprinkler head off, or or a tornado's going to come through. You know, I don't spend a lot of time thinking about that because I understand that, you know, I've done everything that I can do, and and we just have to go from there. But those are are the type of things that, that do keep me up at night, and that, and the other thing that I've learned is this business is highs and lows. Every time you go out and, you know, you build up to a certain high, you're making money and everything else, well, you got to go buy another building. Right. All of a sudden, this other expense comes in and everything goes back down to the bottom and you're not making so much money anymore and you got to tighten the belt and everything else so you get enough in to pay for that one. And so it's, it's up and down. Yeah. If you could go back to January of 96, what you what might you tell Sherry, the Sherry back then, what you know now? What, what advice would you give her? I would tell her to be patient and to take more time and more thought making sure that she hired the right people, not just a person. Hmm. <laughs> Is that cryptic? <laughs> A little bit cryptic, but I, yeah. I think I get it. Yeah, well, you know, I, I've i had office managers and this and that, and a lot of times I've looked back and saying, you know, I really wasn't that confident in hiring that person when I did, but I needed somebody, so I hired them anyway. Right. And, and I and I should have I waited. Yeah. If a w- young woman approaches you at a conference and asks you if she should get into this business, what would you tell her? Well, I would I would have to ask some questions first. All right. I would say, you know, um, if you get into it or if you work at it for a little bit and you find that it's your niche, that you really like it, because a lot of people look at what we do and they think, oh, my God, how boring. 
<laughs> and and dull. I mean, it's like being a librarian or something. There's this conception of, of dullness and everything. But if you worked at it a little bit and you find that you actually like it and it challenges you, intrigues you, I'd say by all means go for it. But be prepared to struggle. Right. Be prepared to first. struggle. If you could go back and change just one thing to change your outcome today, what might have you gone back and changed? You know, I think we, we've done well. We're very solid, and yeah. we didn't, you know, thanks to the backing of the Armstrong company and family of moving companies and everything else, I was able to build and, and develop things very solid from the very beginning, which right. a lot of people don't have that, that luxury, and it really was a luxury. Um, I didn't have to deal with bankers or, or anything. They just they took care of everything. Oh, that's nice. Um, and even now, they take care of, you know, we're included in their group as far as our insurance coverages and everything else. So, like I said, it was it was very much a luxury to have that, and I think because of that, we we built a very solid foundation here. Everything is bought and paid for. Nothing's leased. Nothing's rented. Uh, there's no notes, no loans, no. Wow. Nothing. It's solid. Yeah, that's that's wonderfully solid. In some cases like that, I know you said you know you you might feel like you should be at eight hundred or a million boxes, but there there's something to be said for half a million boxes plus all the peripheral businesses that that come with that, and what you've just said, having complete ownership, having you know that it's all yours, and that's a yeah. solid place to be, as opposed to having a million and owing you know on everything. Right. Um, depending on, on the nature of the beast, but that's such a solid place to be. So rumor has it you used to work for Apple. I did. Wow. That's kind of where I started my career. It was very exciting. And do you have uh, any stock? Oh, I do. You do? I, do. I have stock that I, <laughs> it's, it's, it's an amazing story. Uh, so you're back- a billionaire then. I, I ought to be. <laughs> I ought to be, but... Yeah, as an employee, they offered an 80, 80% purchase plan and of Apple stock back then. Uh, and once again, I'm dating myself, but Apple stock was $20 a share when I worked there. Yeah, wow. Wow. And so, <laughs> so I got it uh, around 15 or 16, and it was, a, it was a payroll deduction type thing where you just you just contributed towards your stock purchase every week out of your paycheck, like 20 bucks or something or whatever. And at the end of each quarter, they would take whatever money you'd set aside and buy stock at 80% of whatever the rate was at that date. Well, um, after a couple of years, and they had decided to close the Dallas manufacturing. They were manufacturing the Apple II computers here. Yeah. And I had been on the Macintosh team working with Steve Jobs and commuting out to California. Working they, personally with Steve Jobs? Yeah. No way. Well, on the Macintosh team, not 24-7, but, yeah, he came out to Dallas and we went out to, but, yeah, we worked directly for Steve Jobs. Wow. And, so you, you actually knew him? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I feel kind of bereft now that, that he's gone. He yeah. was kind of my last link 
to Apple, but they had offered me a relocation out to California to continue with the Macintosh group out there. And uh, after spending six months out there and, and all, I realized that because of the cost of living and everything in California, and at this time we didn't know that Dallas was going to be shut down, but my quality of life would have gone way down even though they were offering me, you know, a raise and, and increases and everything. It's yeah. just the cost of living here in Dallas. It would have just... So anyway, I took a layoff, and, and I took all of my uh, severance pay, and I went and bought Apple stock with it. Seriously? I did. So you are a billionaire then. <laughs> you don't even need to be working. You don't, you don't and, even need to have an archives company. And, uh, and I went and bought Apple stock with it. And like I said, it was like, it was like $20 a share uh, at that point in time. And then it split a few times over the years. Because they used to keep it below 100. Anytime right. it got up to like 100, they right. would split it so they could keep it cheap so people could buy and everything. Course they don't do that anymore. Yeah. But, but over the years, I've sold bits and pieces because I wanted, you know, to buy a house or I wanted to do this and everything. So no, I don't. I'm not a billionaire. Oh, okay. But when I think that. about what I sold, I could, I could have been a billionaire. So, are you <laughs> Apple or PC? At work, I'm PC. At home, I'm Apple. All right. And you run an iPhone? I run an iPhone. I have an iPad. I have everything. Okay. You're all. I'm you're supportive. all Apple. Okay. I'm supportive. I think many of us who reach sort of the, the mid part of our lives have a bucket list of things we want to accomplish. What's your most pressing one right now? Well, personally, my bucket list is travel. Okay. I want to travel. Where, I, where to specifically? What's the well, next one? My sons and I had, had made a deal about four years ago that we were going to save our money and we were going to go to London for the Olympics. Oh. Yeah. But since then, college has incurred and medical school for one of them. And, and so you sold more Apple stock. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so we, uh, we have postponed and we set aside the London Olympics and, and made a deal that we will now do the Olympics at Rio. Oh, very cool. Yeah. Very cool. Well, Sherry, it has been a, a, a great pleasure to hear your story, to to know that you were uh, both connected. I think that excited me just <laughs> sometimes as much. That that connection with Steve Jobs is really kind of cool. But, yeah. but I, lo I love your story. It's such a great story. Thank you. And I'm very appreciative of you sharing it with us and sharing both your your highs and some of the, the, the questions about it all. And I am uh, – I'm – hoping that you continue to have uh, significant success as you move forward. You too, Tom. Thank you very much. Thanks. Hey, hey, hey. Thank you for being with us today. I am grateful. Thanks to Sherry Taylor. What a great story. I, I'm so intrigued by the connection with Apple and Steve Jobs that 
I kind of feel like that got all my excitement, but really cool story overall. And Sherry's been in the business a long time and, and uh, a real testament to being a part of this industry and making some cool stuff happen. Hey, this show's been sponsored by our good friends at O'Neill Software. What impresses me about this company is not just their dedication to a great product, to customer support and service, but that ongoing focus they have on new development, trying to figure out where we need to go, not just where we are today. And it's important to all of us because it's the future where we're going to. And with the radical transition and changes happening in this industry, it's really important that leaders like O'Neill Software keep figuring out some of that path for us. So if you're interested in learning more, you can do so at O'NeillSoft.com. Well, that's it for today. I hope you have a great week. We are out of here. Thanks for joining us on the Rim Pro Report with Tom Adams. If you enjoyed the show, please tell others. Our website is www.rimproreport.com, where you can find show archives and a whole lot more. This broadcast is produced and hosted by Flourish Press Incorporated. Join us again soon.